All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, come on, let's make some noise for the Lord Jesus today. Come on, is anybody thankful for the goodness of God in this house? Let's go. Well, my name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor. I want to say welcome to everybody here at our Florence location. Can we show some love and welcome our Lawrenceburg Faith Church family? It's good to have you guys in the house. And again, everybody else watching online, whoever you are, wherever you're watching from or tuning in, whether you're a Faith Church family or you're a guest, a VIP, we want to say, man, how humble we are that you're a part of this ministry. Come on, we say it every week, though, ultimately, that we believe that Jesus, he's the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your heartache, your hurt, your habit, if you'll open up your life to Jesus, man, it'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. How many people already know that's true? Come on. Listen, before I jump right into the message, real quick, I know Pastor Ryan just covered it, but as the lead pastor, I want you to know that, again, we've, we try to do church on purpose with vision, and it really is guided by our four core values, reach, connect, grow, serve, and we don't always do those perfectly, but we try to budget for that, plan for that, pray for that, and again, this last week was an example of us as a church serving. Now, we have literally hundreds of volunteers that serve on a regular basis, many week in and week out all over our facilities and campuses. But this is an opportunity for us to get outside of the four walls of our church. Man, God always intended us to do life in this world, to be the light of the world. And so thankful for everybody that served going and partnering with nonprofits and uh, making a difference in our community and just serving people around us. And again, for those who give here, I want you to know that your generosity is making a difference, not right here at home, but around the world. We have Kingdom Builder Partners Uh, preaching and declaring the gospel, whether through words or through deeds, literally all over the world. So thank you for being a part by serving and by giving. Come on, man. Honor you guys. Thank you so much. Real quick, want to put something on your radar. Again, obviously you know this, but opportunities to serve are endless. And uh, there's an opportunity that came on our radar. One of our elders, David Mathis, uh, brought this to my attention and asked if if we would be a a part of it. Man, I felt like the Lord said yes to do this. And so There's a young family in our community, a husband and a wife, two kids. Uh, In November of last year, the daughter, who was eight years old, was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, The the diagnosis specifically they got by the doctor was this doctor said they've never seen cancer in 100% of the cells, which this little girl had. Uh, Thankfully, she's been in treatment this entire time at St. Jude's, and uh, she is in remission. She's not finished with her chemo, but, man, she's cancer-free. Come on, somebody, man, celebrate that. Um, but this, uh, the, the household that they live in, the house is dilapidated and, and struggling. And so we feel like, man, God's called us to come alongside of this family and help make sure that this young family comes back home to a house that's in order, especially that's clean um, and, 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 uh, and put in place for this young girl. And so next week, uh, we're going to have a meeting following the second service. And so what we're looking for is just one, if you give to Kingdom Builders, know that you're financing stuff like this. We're going to go in and we're going to make a difference in this home. Uh, if you're looking for an opportunity to serve, uh, this is a great place for you to get on board. Everybody do this. Everybody do this. I got about 600 painters right here. <laughs> or people that can try out for the next uh, Karate Kid movie. I don't know. You know, paint the fence. Um, but if you're a carpenter, if you can build, if you can work, just pull up carpet, things like that. Just plan on being a part of that meeting. We'll give you more details next week. If you're giving, know your giving makes a difference, man, and we're loving the community around us. Amen. Come on one more time, man. Can we thank the Lord Jesus for his goodness? Well, we are in week number two of a series we started last week entitled Mind Mods, Mind Modifications, really this idea of how we're to think as Christ followers. 
And we're looking at really some cultural catchphrases, things that are used in the world around us, referring to the mind and more specifically what God has to say about these topics. And so last week we looked at the confrontational declaration that we're to mind our own business. And some of you didn't do so well this last week. The good news is you have a whole other week to try again to mind your own business. Today, uh, we're going to transition and we're going to talk about this idea to change your mind, to change your mind. You know, some of the healthiest things that we can do in life is to change our mind, to change our viewpoint, to change the way we think. There's things that, you know, that maybe you're doing or embracing or walking in that God needs to change your mind on and you need to go into a new season of life. And maybe there's some things you've not caught on with, you've not gotten a hold of, and you need to change your mind. Come on, everybody say, change your mind. And so we're going to lean into this conversation today, but before I get there, let me just ask this question. How many people know it's important in life for you to know your role? You got to know your role. When I say know your role, I mean all of us in this room in Lawrenceburg, we all have different obligations and opportunities, and it's important for you to know your purpose, your giftings, your callings, because sometimes we can get those confused, and we can get off and try to do somebody else's job or somebody else's purpose, and or we leave our, our roles undone. And I have just found out that if one of the greatest frustrations you can experience, experience in life is trying to fulfill somebody else's purpose, right? Because you're not gifted for that. You're not called for that. And one of the most fulfilling things in life is to do what God's called and gifted you to do. And that shows up in all kinds of relationships and all kinds of venues. For example, did you know there are roles to take even going out to eat? When you go out to eat, you have to know that you're the customer. And if you're the server or you're the business owner, you're, like, you're there to serve those customers. And if you try to get those things confused, you're going to be frustrated. Come on, listen, I just want you to know this. If your food hasn't been brought to your table, because it's not ready yet. <laughs> and I know some of you, you've done this. You've been so tempted to, to, like, to be the wait staff and you're going to go fill your own drink. Come on, don't be that person. Just be patient. They'll get to you. And if it's not a good restaurant, the service is bad, find somewhere else. But if they do their job, your job is to pay the bill and tip well. Oh, I'm already preaching. And 5%, 5% isn't well. We'll come back to that. Actually, it all gets worse from here. That's the best illustration. Let's talk about knowing your role at a child's sporting event. The people at home's like, I ain't watching this message no more. Y'all stuck here. You can't leave. You have to know your role. If you're the parent, you're there to love your kid, encourage your kid, and motivate your kid, and be a good example that your kid knows how to behave when they're a parent on the ball field. And your job isn't to be the referee or tell the umpire what to call. Your job isn't the coach to tell the coach what kind of playing time your kid ought to get. And if you are the coach, your job is to field the team that you have, not to field, it, not to field the team that you want. Oh, he's preaching on both sides now. What I'm telling you is, if you try to be the, co the coach or the ump and you're not, it's just going to be frustrating. We need to know our role. We need to understand what it is that we're called to do. It happens in the workplace. If you're the supervisor, if you're the manager, if you're the business owner, you have a role to provide a, a good work environment, a work environment where core values are in place, where there's encouragement in place, where there's good pay in place for the work that's put in. And if you're not the supervisor or the manager or the business owner, your job is to be the employee, which means stop telling them how to run their job. If you'll do your job well, God will bless you and promote you and position, put you in a place and position where you can make those calls. Everybody say, know your role. Know your role. One of the places that it shows up most often in many of our lives is in our marriage. Did you know that a husband has a role and a woman has a role? 
And I don't mean necessarily in a traditional sense. I mean, in your marriage, you need to figure out what the expectations are. You need to understand who expects to do what. It's one of the conversations that I have in premarital counseling. Session number four, we cover expectations. You need to know going into it. Like, you need to be on the same page. Uh, who's going to do the cooking? Who's handling the cleaning? Who's, who's mowing the yard? How are you going to raise your kids? What does it look like to budget? Fi- Come on, if, if you got one person that's, that's a skin flint, doesn't want to spend any money, is always hanging on to every dime, and then you got someone else that likes to dress on a, not on a budget, but on a credit card, come on, you're going to have problems. So you got you to get on the same page, expectations. My wife and I, uh, we didn't start off on a, on a great foot. Because I was raised in a very traditional home, uh, at least as a young boy, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was, he was the earner, so he went out to work. My mom stayed home, and, and she raised the kids, me and my two brothers, and she cleaned the house, and she cooked the meals in a very traditional role, at least until I was, uh, until I was seven or eight years old, and then my mom had to join the workforce. I was one of the original latchkey kids. Um, but being in the role she was in, women cooked. Now, if don't be offended by that. That was just the culture I was raised. FYI, culture changes. Let's quit getting so offended about what happened yesterday. Let's decide it's going to be different today. But so, um, so I came in like I wasn't taught how to cook. I was taught how to work on a car. I was taught how to mow the lawn. I was taught how to do outside what was known then as kind of, of a traditional men's role in the 70s. And so when I got married, I expected my wife, come on, let's go. I expected my wife to do the cooking. Well, she wasn't really raised with the mom that I was raised with. Great. My mother-in-law is a great person, but Shano didn't really know how to cook well. My mom cooked all home-cooked meals. Uh, first time my wife made mashed potatoes, I was in the kitchen like, well, where are the potatoes at? I see a box. First time I ever ate instant mashed potatoes was out of a box. And because um, she didn't have a lot of cooking experience, she had, there was like four things my wife could cook. Like we'd have hamburgers, spaghetti, pork chops, or like a roast on rotation. And I remember early on, we wasn't, we wasn't married very long. I remember telling my wife one day, I walked in from work and, and, uh, and she worked too, by the way. So, uh, but I walked in, I was like, are we having pork chops again? I'm just going to tell you, my wife didn't make pork chops again for like 10 years. Rotation went from four to three and she's like, keep it up. We're having spaghetti every night. But I found out, come on, that, that she adopted the role. She said, hey, I'll cook and I'll provide. Come on. She obviously figured it out somewhere along the road. But my job is just to eat the meal, be thankful, and shut up. Come on, by say, know your role. So now, this is, this is true. I, I don't think I ever eat a meal, whether my wife prepares it, makes it, or goes and gets it. I never, say, I never go a meal without saying, hey, babe, thank you for taking care of me. Because that's my role. Come on, by say, know your role. One of the most important places in life in knowing your role isn't in the workplace, it isn't in your marriage, it isn't on the ball field, it isn't in school, it's in our relationship with God. Did you know that God has a role to play in your spiritual journey? He has a role to play in your salvation, but you have a role too, and you have to know your role if we're going to be successful in walking this thing out, and some of you are in the business of trying to do God's role, and some of you are fulfilling your role, and I've come today with an assignment from God to change your mind so you'll fulfill your role. Come on. And so we're going to lean into a conversation found in the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans is written by this guy, Paul. Many of us, we know who that is, the apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to a group of Christians that are in the city of anybody, anybody, Rome. That's why it's called the book of Romans. So he's writing this book and it's, it's 16 chapters 
And it's kind of this incredibly simple overview of our faith. What does it look like to live this thing out? And it's broken down, really, as you read it and as you process it, it's broken down into kind of three main sections. And these three main sections are significant. The first section is kind of the problem, but then the second section and the third section is God's role in our role in our spiritual journey. And so I want to kind of go through these because the goal is for us to get to the third section so you'll figure out your role. So we're going to walk out of this place and we're going to fulfill our role and trust God to fulfill his role. Amen? So watch this. Part number one, when you read the book of Romans, is humanity's problem. If you're new to church, new to spiritual things, let me just tell you what humanity's problem is. Humanity's problem is sin. If you don't really know what sin is, the Apostle Paul does a stellar job painting a picture that leaves us breathless. Not breathless in wonder, but breathless in, in despair. This idea of sin, like he starts off and he says, all of creation points to the glory of God. It's like it's all for him, and it all points to him. And when you look at the stars and the quasars and the, and the leaves on the tree and the grass and the bugs and the birds and the fish, and when you look at it all, it's all pointing to this glorious creator. But instead of us worshiping the creator, Paul says we've worshiped creation. We're not chasing the God who provides success. We're chasing success. We're not, we're not, we're not honoring the God who, who gives relationship and created relationship. We're pursuing relationship. Relationship has become our idol. Success has become our idol. Come on. And he's saying, like, we've got this thing flipped upside down. And he goes on and says things like this, that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. And through sin, death. What's wrong with this world? Why is it the way it is? Sin. It's upside down, it's broken, it's backwards, it's without God. You cannot have the creation God made without the God of creation in it. And so he paints this picture of darkness and despair. And you hear things like, through one man, Adam, sin into the world, and all, we can like start to feel like, well, that doesn't apply to me. And he makes sure he's clear. He says, no, all have sinned. Lawrenceburg, all of you have sinned. All of us have sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And what's crazy is we can, we can maybe own part of that, but we have these people in our mind like, who are the ones like, well, I mean, they would never sin. Like we got grandmas and like maybe our preacher at another church or these poor, like what about Sister Teresa? Like we have these like handful of, like surely they, and he says this, he says, he says this, none are righteous. No, not one. And so you read through the first section of the book of Romans, and he leaves us in this dark place of despair with this understanding that the, per, the pervasiveness of sin, that there's the presence of sin. It's in our world. It's saturated everywhere. It's impacting and influencing everything around us. And it's not just out there. We are all underneath the power of sin. Humanity is under the power of sin. It hijacks our desires. It drives our life if we allow it. And because we are all humanity underneath the power of sin, we are experiencing ultimately the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is separation because God is holy and we are not. Because God is perfect and we are not. He cannot stand to have perfection, imperfection in his presence. And so we are separated, not just here, but for all eternity. And you get past the first section and you're like, what do I do? But that's my story and it's your story. Paul's not finished writing. 
And he takes us into the second section of the book of Romans, and he talks about God's plan. Is anybody thankful for God's plan? That in the midst of despair and darkness and brokenness and separation, come on, God showed up with a plan, and not a plan 2,000 years ago for a group of people overseas, but God showed up for you, for your life, for your family, for your home, for your marriage, for your issue. Come on, is anybody thankful for God's plan? Come on, if you ain't thankful yet, you ought to make some noise as I tell you about God's plan. God's plan was this, that even though through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, God sent another man, Jesus Christ, who brought not just, not death and sin, but he brought grace and life, and that life is available to everybody. Come on, we are justified by faith. How do you get the gift of salvation? All you have to do is believe for it. All you have to do is put your faith in the good God who sent his good son to die our death in our place to carry not just the, come on, not just the power of to be broken, but the presence of sin. Come on, is anybody thankful for that? The Apostle Paul, he goes on and he says things like this. He says, because Jesus Christ died for our sin, now we're at peace with God. We're no longer enemies. He goes on, he says things like this. He says, now, he says, now we have the Spirit of God. Now we're sons and daughters of God. Come on. He makes it so clear, all of these things that we have in our lives. He says, now we're free from the power of sin. And he makes two of the most profound, motivating statements that you can find in, in the entirety of all of Scripture. He says this. He says, now because of what God has done, because God sent his son Jesus to die for our sin, even though we were destitute in darkness and destruction because of our sin, God showed up with his plan to make a way for us to be forgiven and free and children of God. He says this. He says, now there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to carry guilt anymore. You don't have to carry shame anymore. You don't have to be condemned anymore. Jesus carried it all on the cross for us so we don't have to carry it. Come on. Everybody say no condemnation. But then he says this. To me, the pinnacle of the book of Romans is found in Romans chapter 8. And he says this. He says this profound statement. When you understand, come on, because even though the power of sin has been broken by Jesus on the cross and the penalty of sin has been paid by him on the cross... If anybody else is with me, come on, anybody here sometimes still struggle, still mess up, still fall short, and then we wonder, where do I stand in my relationship with God? Did he love me, but doesn't he love me now? I was good, but no, I'm not. No, Paul settles the issue, and he says, I am fully persuaded that neither death nor life, nor power of heaven, nor, nor angels, nor demons, nor of the things present or the things to come, or any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, which means there's nothing coming your way, nothing in your life that can keep you from from a God who loves you, not because you went to him, but because he came to you. Come on, the power of God's plan. Is anybody thankful for it? And so you read the first section, and we're destitute and dark and sin. And God loved us and had a plan to come rescue us. And he made a way. He did it all. And then you get to section three. Really, he could have ended the book, but section three is the topic of our conversation. Section one is the problem. Section two is God's role. Section three is our role. It's the believer's participation. If you're a Christ follower, this is your role. You got to know your role. And basically, it's like, based on what Jesus did, what do we do? Based on what we say we believe, how do we actually behave? Like what we say we have on the inside, come on, it ought to make it to the outside. What is our role? And he says it here. Section 3 starts in Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bible, I want you to open there, turn there, flip there, click there, tap there. 
or take the lazy route and just look up here. There's no condemnation. If you didn't bring your Bible, you're still going to heaven. You love Jesus less, but you're still going to heaven. I'm just kidding. Kind of. I can't tell. Is he kidding? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. Everybody here, read it. Lawrenceburg, everybody online, every voice. Come on. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to notice how he starts section three. He says this simple word, therefore. Therefore, what he means is, in light of everything I've said about humanity's problem and God's plan, in light of all of everything you find in chapters 1 to 11, therefore, do this. Based on where you were at and what God did, now this is what you should do. Well, what's the therefore? He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing to God. But I want you to notice this statement that he makes. It's really profound. He says, ultimately, your job, your role is to live your life practically, not just on church on Sundays, but in everything you are and everything you do, the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he did for us should flood our lives. It should play out in how we behave and how we treat one another. And he says this. He says, ultimately, as you run this thing out, he says, you got to keep, keep God's mercy in view. You know what I'm saying? Like, as you run this race, sometimes you'll get tired. Sometimes you'll get worn out. Sometimes you'll get discouraged. If you don't keep chapters 1, and, 1 through 11 in the framework of your life, sometimes you'll get wore out and feel like you're doing all. God, I'm doing all the heavy lifting here. Like, you're asking me to tithe, and you're asking me to serve in church, and i got to participate in serve week, and i, I got to not kill my kids. And Come on, God, it's a lot to ask for. And sometimes it feels like if you, you, if you lose sight of God's mercy, which is chapters 1 through 11, this walk of loving Jesus and following Christ feels very heavy. There's a, there's a story I heard about this, this father who went to his kid and gave his kid, like many of us do, a small list of chores. And one of the simple chores on the list was to load the dishwasher. And the kid looks at this and goes to the list and, and asks the dad, well, where's your list of chores? This is how you know this what didn't happen in my house because my three kids are still alive. Right. Where's your list of chores, dad? And the dad responded this way, where's my list of chores? I bought the plates that go in the dishwasher. I bought the food that goes on the plates that go in the dishwasher. I bought the dishwasher. I pay for the water and electricity the one that run the dishwasher. I pay for the house, the dishwasher. Come on, somebody. What he was saying was, you've lost sight that I've done all the heavy lifting. I've done all the work. All you have to do is load the dishwasher. What I want you to know is, if you lose sight of the fact that God did all of the heavy lifting, he, he paid the price on Calvary. He carried the sin of the world. Come on. All we have to he's Paul says this, it's your reasonable service to tithe. I know it feels a lot, but in light of Jesus dying on the cross, come on, anybody understand we got the light end of the stick? We got the easy part of the deal. 
This is why Paul says this later in Ephesians. He says, there I for a prisoner for serving the Lord. He said, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. He's saying, again, back to in light of what he's done for us, in light of his great sacrifice, in light of the gift of his son, in light of him loving you enough to come rescue you. What is the difference of Christianity and every other major world religion is Jesus is the only one who showed up to rescue us. That's the difference. He says, as you, as you live this life, as you keep that in the framework of the decisions you make, because the more we forget God's role, the more we feel our role. The more you forget what God's done for you, living for Jesus starts to feel heavy and difficult. Starts to feel like a lot. But when you see what he's done, oh, man, I can, I can live for Jesus. And so he goes on, he says this in Romans 12 too. He says, so... Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So again, the problem of sin and humanity, the plan of God to fix it. And what is our role? Our role, again, is to practically live out our faith, to allow the gospel, the good news, to impact and intersect in every area of our life. And then he throws a comparison out. He says, he says be careful as you live your faith not to conform to the pattern of this world. What is the pattern of this world? Anybody who's been in church for any amount of time would hear other preachers say, like, the pattern of this world is awful people who have all these sins, and here's the list of sins, and this is not what he means at all. The point that the Apostle Paul is making is he's contrasting how we as Christ followers should respond to the gospel to how some people were responding and still respond to the gospel. So he's saying, don't be those people, be these people. And who are the those people? If you're taking notes, the world is either trying to earn God's grace or ignore God's grace. Like that's the, the pattern of this world. Everybody who's ever lived or ever will live, they're responding to what Jesus did for us, what the Father did through his son Jesus, chapters 1 through 11. Everybody's doing a couple things. Either they're still trying to earn God's grace like, the, the point was, in the New Testament, there were a lot of Jewish people who were raised under the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was God made himself known to the nation of Israel. He said the way we're going to deal with sin then was you got to make animal sacrifices, and you got to keep all of the law, including the Ten Commandments. And if you do it all right, and, and you do, make all the sacrifices and make all the right decisions, you never mess up. You can have a relationship with God. Well, how many people know never messing up isn't really an option? But some of us are still trying to, we feel like we got to earn God's favor. The world is trying to figure, how do I get God to love me? You have to get God to love you. He already loves you. Well, how do you know he already loves you? Because before you were ever born, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. That's how I know he loves me. I don't look at my present circumstances. I look at the past cross to understand the power of God's love in my life. And so he's saying there's people that are still trying to earn it. Here's how you know if, you're in the, if you are the pattern of this world in trying to earn it. If you ever think in church, like, if your worship is ever hindered based on anything you did last week, you're still trying to earn God's grace. Like, I can't raise my hands like, man, if anybody knew what I did, man, there's somebody over there, and they were in the club with me last night. We shut the club down together. I can't raise my hands. Have you ever gone to pray and feel like I'm praying, but God's not really listening because I did this and this, and I said I wouldn't do it again, but I still did it again? 
Come on, if, if, you feel, if you feel ever any weight of condemnation or shame, if you ever wonder, how does God see you? Is God disappointed in me? Is God frustrated? Come on, you are still in the place where you're ignoring the mercy of God, and you're still trying to earn the grace of God, and that's the pattern of this world. We're not following the pattern of this world. We're responding to the grace that's already been given. If you never love Jesus, he still loves you. If you never follow Christ, he still died for you. So the pattern of this world is stop trying to earn the grace of God. And then some of us, we need to stop ignoring the grace of God. I mean, there are some people, when I say ignoring it, whether they're doing it intentionally or not, some people just maybe all the way on the side of an agnostic or an atheist and just don't even want to acknowledge it. You don't acknowledge it, it still happened. Jesus died for the sins of the world, whether you believe it or not. But I mean, more practically, the pattern of the world is and he spends time writing about this, is groups of people, and maybe this is you, and I can be honest and say in seasons of my life, this has been me, where I'm so thankful for the grace of God that I just abuse it. So you can do three things with God's grace. You can feel like you can earn it, which you can't. You can ignore it, which you shouldn't, or you can honor it, which is living a life as a living sacrifice holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And so he goes on, he says this, Romans 12, 2, he says, so do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Come on, everybody read this. Be transformed. Come on, Lawrence, word. be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's saying you got two options. You can either be conformed or be transformed. You can either live like this world trying to earn God's favor or ignore God's favor, or you can change the way you think and understand what Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary. Come on, what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago that he showed up and paid it all. Come on, the ticket's paid. The bill is covered. Our sin has been dealt with forever and always. And so in light of that, what do we do? I'm going to change the way I think. And his point is, and a lot of us, we know this, we feel like if we just exert our will enough, we can do it. If you just exert our will, just try harder. And Paul understands a principle that is so real today, and so many sociologists understand this, psychologists, that if you're going to change your life, you don't change your life out here first. You change your life here. If you'll change the way you think, you will change the way you live. So if up here you think I have to earn the grace of God or I don't have to really live for God, then you'll never change the way you live. But if up here we'll grasp the immense mercy of Jesus in our lives, it will change the way we live. And so be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm going to give you just two practical things as we get ready to wrap this up. Here's what he's talking about. Repent of a lifestyle that tries to earn God's grace. Again, you can't earn it. He did all the heavy lifting, and it's already done forever for you. Stop trying to earn it. And the second thing, repent of a lifestyle that doesn't honor the grace of God. I know, um, I know some of us in this room, some of you have done this. There's two groups of people. When you go out to eat with somebody and someone else picks up the bill, is anybody thankful for friends that pick up the bill? Come on, wave at me. Anybody here want to pick up a bill today? Wave at me. Just let me know where you're going. I'll meet you there. Let's go. Come on. Is anybody thankful? I got some people like I pick up the tab for people. And I got friends that pick up the tab for me. Anybody thankful for friends like that? Now, there's two types of people when someone pick up the bill. 
Type A is the type of person that you, even though someone else is picking up the tab, you still eat as if you're paying for it. And then there's the other group of people. The other group of people is when they know somebody else is paying, like, they're buying everything. When you're paying and, the, and they come to your table and they're like, would you like an appetizer? You're like, we don't need to spend the 10 No, we don't need an appetizer. Like, best case scenario, if you're paying the bill, it's like, do we get jalapeno poppers or cheese sticks? And you got to pick one. But when somebody else is picking up the beer, like, I can't really decide. I like them both so much. Can I just get both? I'm just going to tell you something because they're too polite to say something. When you ask them in front of the waiter or waitress, can you get both? They're thinking, no, they just said yes because they don't want to be as rude as you are. <laughs> oh, he's preaching now. When it's somebody else is paying the bill, come on, when you're paying the bill, you get the six-ounce sirloin. When somebody else is paying the bill, you get the 12-ounce, come on, filet. And then when you're all done eating, when you're paying the bill, come on, they come around, would you like some dessert? You're like, man, it's like $8 for a pizza cheese stick, cheesecake. When somebody else is paying the bill, you're like, I can't decide if I want cheesecake or chocolate pie. Can I just get both? Come on, everybody. And listen, what I'm trying to tell you is this, is, is use it, but don't abuse it. When it comes to the grace of Jesus, use it, but don't abuse it, which means you can never outsend the immensity of God's grace. But just because there's no limit to God's grace doesn't mean we should try to find out how deep it goes. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Should we continue to sin so grace can abound? What he's saying is, should you just keep living however you want, do whatever you want, sleep with who you want, and treat people the way you want? Like, just live life wheels off just because God's grace is greater than your sin? It is greater than your sin, but he's saying, no, in light of the immense grace of God, let's live a life that honors that grace. I want to please. I can't earn it. It's not, listen, it's not my please. It's my thank you. I'm not trying to get you to love me. I want to live a life because you love me. Let's go, somebody. How do we honor it? How do we honor the grace of God? We honor God's role by fulfilling our role. The way we recognize his sacrifice is by being a living sacrifice. Not to earn it, it's already given. And so the weight that all of us feel, you say, what does that mean? And, and I don't even have time, I don't even get, I got two verses, actually one and a half. Go home and read chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. He gets into all the ways that our faith should intersect with life. If you love Jesus, it should show up in your money. It should show up in how you treat people. It should show up in how you view the 6 o'clock news. It should show up in how, not how you treat people who look like you, act like you, and believe like you. It should show up in how you treat people who look nothing like you, act nothing like you, and believe nothing like you. Do you know why? Because Jesus died, didn't die for, for one segment of society or one group of people. Or Jesus, Can I just say, Jesus didn't die for white people in North America. Jesus died for all people of all times, of all races, colors, creeds, religions. And so if Jesus loves all people, then the people who are following Jesus should love who? Come on, y'all can say it. All people. How do, what do we do with the gospel? It should intersect in how we treat people, how we raise our kids, how we love our spouse. It should intersect with how we act on the ball field, how we act at work. It should intersect. Our role with God should interject and impact every other role that we have in life. Why? Not to get God to love us, but because we love him because he first loved us. And so today is Baptism Sunday. 
And the reason this message intentionally is positioned to fit into this conversation is because there's lots of people who have either you're here or you're in Lawrenceburg and you've not yet given your life to Jesus. You've not yet recognized the great mercy of chapters 1 to 11. And in a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, man, I, I recognize the struggle in my own life and I don't know what the solution is. But pastor, if you say it's Jesus, I'll try it. I, I can tell you the answer is Jesus, not just because I read it, but because I've been living it for almost 30 years. Jesus met me March 19, 1989, a 17-year-old young man that already made lots and lots and lots and lots of bad decisions, and he met me where I was, and he changed my life forever. So I don't just have a, a, a book of prophecy. I've got a personal experience that will tell you that the same Jesus will meet you where you are, and he'll do the same work in your life to change you forever. But some of us in this room, man, we're like, I raised a hand. I prayed the prayer. I was at camp. It happened last week in church. Like, I've done the deal. Okay. Well, now that you've got a view of God's mercy, you saw God's role. Are you doing your role? The first step in doing your role is water baptism. It's the first step. First step of a Christ follower. And so if you're here and you've never, you've never taken that step, either because, well, I don't really need to. Well, you don't really need to. We already made that. You don't need to. Jesus did it all. But you should because it's the right thing to do and it's what he's called us to. You don't have to get baptized. You should want to get baptized because, God, man, you've done so. If you hung on a cross me, last thing, man, the least I can do is go underwater for you. Oh, man, he's putting it plain today, ain't he? Some of you, man, like, let me tell you the, the, the greatest oxymoron I hear from people is, Pastor, will you come to my house and baptize me in private? No, there's no such thing as a private baptism. That's oxymoron. Baptisms, in the essence of what they are, are public. Faith is private. Baptism is public. Faith is spiritual. Baptism is physical. Faith is internal. Baptism is external. It's not enough to keep it on the inside. That's the whole point of what Paul is saying is God lived out loud for us. Let's live out loud for him. And so if you're here and you've never been water baptized, today's your day. If you didn't come ready, we got new T-shirts and new shorts and new towels, and you can take it all home because we don't want to reuse it anyways. We got a private place for you. We got everything you need, and you need to decide today, I'm going to take this step. In light of God's sacrifice, in light of the mercies of God, I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing. Don't get in the car and regret and think, I should have did it. You should do it today. Why? Because it's the first step of those who decide to honor the gift of God by living their life as a sacrifice. And so I want to pray with you. We all bow your heads, Lawrenceburg. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, and maybe you'd recognize the darkness and the despair of sin in your own life, you recognize the tension and the struggle that sometimes you feel, and you're hearing maybe for the first time how much Jesus loves you and all that he did to save you. God's plan was for you. If you're here and you say, man, today I want to give my life to Jesus, with no shame, whether you're in Lawrenceburg or here, or you're at home watching online. If you're here and say, man, today I want to experience the grace of God you're talking about. I want to experience the life change that you're saying Jesus can bring. He is the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can forgive us. So if that's you, man, come on, no shame. Men, women, come on, if you're here, I want you to lift a hand real high and say, Pastor Steve, that's me. I want you to pray for me. Today I want to give my life to Jesus. Come on, all over this room, lift a hand real high. Come on, men. Come on, women. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, man, if you want to experience the grace of a God that never runs out, come on, throw over a hand real high. Several hands, several hands. I want us all to pray this in Lawrenceburg and Florence. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. 
on the cross of Calvary to cancel my debt of sin and to make me your child. Help me to follow you from this day forward in Jesus' name.